Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Chicago-based jazz blues singer Solitaire Miles. She spoke at length about her life and music and her new 2022 CD, Susie Blue and the Lonesome Fellas, Blue Train, featuring Grammy-winning harmonica maestro Howard Levy and Chicago sax king Eric Schneider. Over the years, she has performed and recorded with great band leaders like Doc Cheatham, Vaughn Freeman, Bruce Johnstone, and the great Willie Pickens. After 20 years performing and recording in the jazz scene, she has branched out to incorporate blues roots and Americana into her repertoire. Enjoy the story. Joe Domino, Neon Jazz Radio in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I should let you know right off the bat that we are having 50 to 60 mile an hour winds where I live right now. And the power went out and it just came back on. So okay. I would like to send you my cell phone number just in case we get cut off. Um, or would you rather just, just do the cell phone number? You know, let's ride the wind here. I remember one time <laughs> there, was a, <laughs> there was a pianist from Cincinnati that was at the Blue Room, one of our fabled joints, and there was a rainstorm, and the electricity went out, and all you could hear was everything acoustic, and it was magical. Not that this is going to happen here, but... Let's just let's play our luck because you know jazz is all about improv and writing the moment. So let's see how we let's see how we do. Okay. Okay. So I love your name, Solitaire Miles. What a great handle. Thank you. I I absolutely love it. My son is named Miles for obvious reasons, so I have oh, an affinity wow. for that name. At any rate, thank you for taking a minute out for the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today. Thank you. Me as well. So the new album, Susie Blue and the Lonesome Fellas, Blue Train. What a great album. What a great throwback. What, and it just, I think we're at a time where we really need more and more of this kind of feel-good music to, to be infused in the world after what we've gone through for the last few years. So how does this release feel for you? Well, I, that was one of the reasons why I put it out. We had recorded this album right before the pandemic started. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, when is the best time to release? You know, we can't really perform a lot. Some of uh, our players don't want to be out gigging um, until we're outside, you know, in the summer and on, on outdoor stages. So I thought, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be doing a lot of booking indoors. But then I thought, you know, they say the pandemic's over. Now they say there's new viruses. You never know. I can't sit on this anymore. I'm just going to put it out. And it's fun music. It's happy music. We tried to keep a really upbeat feeling with all of the songs. And so hopefully, you know, it will cheer people up and um, put a little bounce in their step because God knows there's certainly enough right now going on in the world to uh, take the bounce out of our steps, you know? Indeed. Well, and over this time of the pandemic and quarantine, there's been more time at home, more time with ourselves, reevaluating our existence. What did yeah. you learn about yourself? over this time that maybe you didn't realize before that will make you stronger as you promote this album and get back out to the live stage? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Thank you. I have not performed much over the pandemic. Most of my gigs have been outdoors in the summer or in the nice weather. I miss performing. And, you know, the isolation certainly makes a lot of people, artists, musicians, create maybe create more art or uh, more music. And we've been working on in our next album already. But the thing that I've really honed in on is self-reliance. And I know that might kind of sound lame or or common, but as an artist, as a musician, we put ourselves out there in the community gigging 
and we have supports in our support system from friends and fans. And because I haven't been performing that much, I've had to find a lot of other ways to get out into the world to get my music and my art out there, whether it be networking through the Internet or um, self-promotion. It's really uh, challenged me to do that more. And, you know, for anyone who's gone through this pandemic, it, it makes you realize the only person that you can control in life is yourself. You can't really control other people. You can't really control the outside world. And I think for a lot of artists, that's a, a big lesson. Because when you become accustomed to performing weekly in, in, in venues and you have a following or you have people that you know will be there uh, for you and all of a sudden that's gone, you have to find a completely different way to create your music, to reach people with your music. That was like a really uh, good lesson, at least for me, it was like a a shot in the arm of, wow, I can do this without a gig at the Jazz Showcase every week. I can still do this without my friends and fans coming out, you know, to the coffee shop or the restaurant where we play. And I'm still in the world, you know what I mean? So many people are getting together long distance. Uh, One of the songs on the album, Forever Yours, was recorded with the singer in Great Britain, Dominic Halpin, who I've never met in person, let alone gigged with. You know, he's never come to Chicago, and I've never gone to where he lives in, in the U.K. So we met on Facebook because we had various musical interests in common. We ended up doing this great duet together with, with, you know, so many people are loving it. The pandemic has really taught me to reach out in a lot of different ways, not only to create, but to find people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly has. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think that's been the thing about all of this. There's been so many ways that we've all been able to connect because that's the only way that we can actually have that communal existence that we've all gotten used to our whole lives. Yes. So let's go back to the beginning of your life. Talk to me a little bit about where you were born and raised and how kind of music became your passion, your life. Uh, I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, in the U.S., on the Great Lakes, and my folks had just graduated from high school. They were 18. (laughs) They were very young. And my dad was originally from California, so he was kind of a hippie. I was born in the late 60s in that flower child era. They wanted to name me something interesting, so Solitaire is actually my birth name. And um, they thought that it would be so groovy (laughs) to have a child named Solitaire. They thought they were bestowing some great gift upon me with a name. (laughs) I I can tell you they did, for sure. As an adult, you know, I can see it. (laughs) But growing up in the 70s as a kid, you know, in grammar school, it was really challenging. Um, Oh, yeah, I bet. It does still have its challenges, depending on where you're at. (laughs) So um, my grandmother, my father's mother, came from a very musical family. She was actually a music teacher and um, a singer in a big band in the late 1940s. And she played piano and sang. On that side of the family, about seven or eight of the relatives played instruments, and they actually had their own band. So they played saxophone, um, bass, trumpet. Her brother was a professional drummer through the uh, Buffalo area and up into western New York. So I grew up listening to my grandmother, who sounded a lot like Billie Holiday, playing the piano and singing jazz songs. So I've always had a really big love for jazz. And then, of course, my parents, you know, being hippies, raised me with, like, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. So I got a lot of that as well. But uh, there was a very strong jazz influence in my grandmother teaching me to play piano and sing by the time I was four years old. And um, 
<laughs> the first song I learned was um, Say It With a Kiss, which is a Billie Holiday song. So always love that tune. That was one of Billie's earlier songs. So I studied music in, in high school. I went to a performing arts high school in Erie called Mercyhurst Prep, where I studied music and performance. And then I attended... DePaul University in Chicago, where I also studied music, and I wanted to be an opera singer originally, but um, when I was graduating from DePaul, I met uh, the famous swing violinist Johnny Frigo, who was a Chicago favorite. He had a regular Monday night gig at a club called Toulouse in Chicago, and they invited me to sing in because they loved opera singers, and they loved having people come in and sing O Mio Bambino Caro or whatever. After doing that a couple of times, I started learning Autumn Leaves and other jazz standards, and then I was bitten by the jazz bug. Uh, and so after that, I started performing in a club in Chicago called The Bop Shop, which was run by promoter Kate Smith, and that was in the early 90s. And she introduced me to Von Freeman, a wonderful saxophone player, and to Willie Pickens, who was a, a great pianist, and I was so, so lucky and blessed to work with all of them. And Willie, you know, we just lost Willie a couple years ago. So um, I had been a, a jazz uh, musician for about 20 years. And a couple of years ago, I, I started experimenting with uh, roots music, Western swing, and blues. Just because there's so much jazz out there, I, it's not that I wanted to leave jazz. It was never my intention. But I wanted to try different things um, within the genre. So we put out a strictly Western Swing album in 2015, uh, which was traditional Western Swing from, you know, 1940 to 1950, featuring some songs by the great songwriter Cindy Walker. And then um, that that actually did pretty good. And then we did another album with uh, the great Howard Levy on harmonica. And now this, uh, Blue Train, which doesn't really have any Western Swing to it, um, and we're going back more to like a jazz and blues sensibility with some jump swing in it. I think all of those cross-pollinate very, very well. You know, I think it's just really about feel-good music. And I think when you go back to the American roots of things, I think there's so much of this that, that just kind of blurs the lines, so to speak. Well, a lot of of the younger musicians are blurring the line. I mean, if you look at some of the youngest jazz singers that are coming out in their 20s and 30s, you know, and, and some of the groups that are touring right now, they are taking jazz and blending it up with pop, you know, or pop and blending that in with jazz vocals or um, blues vocals. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant that some of these younger kids are finding jazz and incorporating it into what is becoming their popular music. Part of the progression of the art form, you know? Yeah, it's evolution. I mean, it's Darwinian kind of in the way it happens. I mean, I've even noticed on the other end of this, there's been a lot of elements of kind of funk and electronica and even traces of hip-hop that have been getting into some jazz elements, and it's been really interesting, you know, kind of in that Miles vein where you just never stop, you know, progressing and doing things in a different way. Yes. So I'm curious, what was the first live jazz show that you saw that really blew you away and made you think, I want to do that someday? Gosh, when I was a kid... My grandmother took me to see Sarah Vaughan in the early 70s. Gosh, and I think that was at the Chautauqua Institution, which is a little area in western New York outside of Buffalo. And it's sort of like a summertime um, vacationers. It's a little town where they have like a lot of lecturing and classes. And she played there, I mean, I must have been like four years old in the early 70s. So it was a long time ago. And uh, Sassy just blew me away. 
that was a long time ago. I mean, I, I don't remember the whole concert because, you know, at that age, your brain doesn't store everything. But I just remember listening to this woman sing and her vibrato and the strength and the, the agility of, of her uh, voice just blew me away. So give me kind of an etching here, geographically speaking, when you went to New York and, and how you ended up in Chicago. Kind of how did the timeline work for you and how did that fit into the entirety of your career leading up to right now? I started singing um, with a jazz saxophonist in my hometown. His name was Bruce Johnstone, and he used to play with Maynard Ferguson. He was the guy from the tune uh, Stay Loose with Bruce, and he was teaching at uh, some of the schools in the area where I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. I got to sit in and then play with him on a couple of his gigs right out of high school. Um, I didn't go to DePaul right away. I stayed in my hometown for a few years and studied at uh, Gannon University. Um, and then I, I have lupus. I was born with lupus, a genetic autoimmune disease. So I took a few years off before uh, finishing my degree at DePaul in Chicago. So I was actually in Pennsylvania until like 87 or 88. So I performed with Bruce Johnstone, and I actually studied with Bruce and played alto sax. <laughs> so I started with some jazz, and then when I got to DePaul in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, I went right back into that classical thing because I really wanted to be an opera singer. But then I met Johnny Frigo, and he kind of you know, pulled me back <laughs> into the jazz. So then I started performing uh, with Johnny Frigo, Von Freeman, and Willie Pickens. And I recorded my first CD in Chicago in the early 90s there, which I just did a re-release of. It's called Take Love Easy. And we had nine or ten tracks that we recorded to one-inch reel tapes at Southport Records. I'd had it mixed and mastered in the 90s, but, you know, it went out on a cassette tape, so it was never really a really great sound. My engineer recently, we, we found the old one-inch reels, and he, he got as much of that stuff off of it as we could. Some of it was a bit degraded, but I did just release it for um, all of the jazz people who love Vaughn and Willie and Johnny Frigo. So that's out there, and I did, that was my first album, and then... I went to New York City about 1995, and I was very blessed to meet and perform with Doc Cheatham before he passed away. He was in his early 90s when I met him. He was performing at Sweet Basil, and I had got a job there working on Sundays as the jazz uh, hostess for the for the brunch because I was friends with Chico Freeman, you know, Von Freeman, and Chico was friends with the owner of the bar, so I was really lucky to get that gig. And that wasn't even a singing gig. That was just a working gig, you know, answering the phone. I, that led to me meeting Doc and then sitting in with him on his uh, sets. I got to sing so many songs with the band on Sundays during the jazz brunch every Sunday, and that was an amazing scene because not only did I get the opportunity to be introduced to, to a very nice group of people in New York, uh, jazz fans, and, you know, the honor of singing with Doc. But all of the jazz musicians of the time would come in um, for Doc's session. It was like a jam session towards the end of the brunch, like around 1 o'clock, and I met, God, I met so many people, so many jazz musicians that were just hanging out, you know, in, in the restaurant, sitting in, doing a tune with Doc, and, you know, I mean, I got to hang out with Jimmy Cobb and Roy Haynes. Those two really stuck in my head because I was the hostess and because I was singing with Doc. So that was a huge blessing to find that job and then to meet Doc and to befriend him and his wife and to be able to perform on stage with them as much as I did. 
And Doc was a great guy at that age. He was really trying to nurture a lot of younger players. You know, he was 90, 91, and he was still doing a four-hour, you know, on stage and singing and playing the horn. He loved singers. One of the other singers I remember coming in uh, was uh, Ingrid Lucia. Um, he, she, she was a big uh, fan of Doc's. So he did foster quite a few of us. He was such a generous, caring person. You know, he always looked out for the younger musicians. I remember I have a love of vintage and retro clothing. And I went in on Sunday to the Jazz Brunch and I wore a dress that uh, was a, a vintage piece that I paid like $300 for at a vintage store in New York. It was like a, a 1940s dress. And his wife came up to me and said, oh, honey, if you can't afford to buy a new dress, let me find something for you in my closet. <laughs> And I was like, oh, gosh, Nellie, no, no, this I bought this on purpose. <laughs> they were so kind. And, and I remember on my birthday, she brought me a cake. She baked me a cake at home. It was like a little tiny four-piece cake. You know, and I had just been in New York for about six months, and I didn't have a lot of friends yet. That's how kind and thoughtful uh, the Cheatham's were. They were just wonderful people. You know, I had such a great time living in New York. Uh, my husband uh, was working for a corporation, and they moved us back to the Chicago area. So then I, I went back to Chicago and started working again with Willie Pickens, and we created a couple more albums, the Born to be Blue Sessions, and released those between 2010 and 2011. And a couple uh, of those, those tunes hit the charts, uh, most notably the song Baltimore Oriole, which features a great solo by Willie and a trumpet solo by Art Davis here. So um, I was jazzing for a long time. It wasn't until about 2015. Um, I was talking to jazz writer Scott Yano about, you know, trends that he was seeing in jazz because he's always writing books. And he's like, you know, God Solitaire, because I wanted to make another album. He's like, don't make another album of standards. He says, try to find something different because there are so many middle-aged white women recording albums of standards and it all sounds the same and he says if you're going to do it try to put a different twist on it and that's kind of what inspired me to make the western swing album because it is swing music from the 1940s it's just swing with a twang you know he he said wow that's really great in fact scott actually played on our second western swing album he plays melodica so he played on uh, one of our Western swing songs. Um, I don't know how many songs or how often Scott gets out and plays on stuff, but he, he actually played on one tune on one of the Susie Blue albums, and that's really cool. So under his advice that I did try a different type of swing, <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. You have so many singers trying different things with jazz, and certainly looking at your recent interviews, you have some wonderful singers that you've talked to lately who are trying to do a lot of different things with jazz. And that's so wonderful. Certainly is. Yeah, it's just pushing everything further. And you know, I'm curious with the, a lot of the names that you mentioned there. You know, from Doc to Jimmy, all the way down the line. You know, mentors you've had. What have you learned from the jazz elders, legends, and icons that you, in turn, have taken and taught younger players that you get around, or the youth that's coming up in jazz now? Well, the one thing that I learned that I think is most important for any musician or a singer is that the music is something that comes through you. And you certainly sacrifice time and energy and money learning to play your instrument or to sing. But the energy of the music is not something that belongs to you. It it pulses through you. And 
you're supposed to get out of the way and let it happen. And it's never about you. It's about the music. Johnny Frigo had written a beautiful poem about live jazz. And he's a wonderful example of that. Jazz happens. You know, you put players together and they, they're they creating on stage together. Everybody's working off one another. And whether you're the the lead, you know, and, and you're playing the piano and you're soloing or you're singing or you're leading with an instrument like a violin or a saxophone, you are still blending and improvising with what everyone is doing. It's not about you. It's about the music. And you need to step out of the way and let the music become what it's supposed to be. And the other thing I learned was from working with uh, Willie Pickens. He was a great teacher for many years in the Chicago scene. And we had a regular gig at the Jazz Showcase before he passed away. I was a sideman for Willie, even though like they were my gigs. <laughs> I would stand by the piano and watch and listen to everything Willie did because every gig was a master class. And I didn't know what he was going to throw at me. I mean, I would give him charts with the changes and, you know, he knew what he was supposed to play. But Willie would play all this extra stuff. He would play so many notes. So I would end up, you know, being like the straight guy trying to hold the melody down. I didn't improvise with Willie because he was going to do that. And you would think, oh, that's not fair. You know, he should be accompanying you (laughs) instead of the singer accompanying the piano player. But it was just a thrill to stand there and try to hold on every song while Willie played his heart out. And now as a singer, I have learned so much more about listening to my bandmates. And, you know, even if it's something the drummer's playing, I mean, a lot of singers aren't paying attention to the drummers. Maybe they're not listening to everything the bass player's doing. I try to listen to what everybody's doing. And I think Willie Pickens taught me to do that because it's a a creation of the group. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go out there and sing my song and they're going to make me sound good. That's live jazz. Yeah. Yeah, like right now with the possibility of, you know, an outage where you you just ride the storm, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So to speak. (laughs) You know, you've been doing this for quite a while. What do you like the best about being a singer, a professional musician? Well, it certainly allows me to be creative, and my family raised me to be creative. My maternal grandmother was a professional artist, and so I was taught to paint and draw. My cousin works for Disney. I never got to be that good of an artist, um, but he did. Art runs in the one side of the family, and then music runs in the other. So I was—I work as a graphic artist, but I've never reached the level of my cousin Kevin, who um, illustrates for like those Star Wars series. He's amazing. Uh, anyhow, the creativity runs, whether it's music or or it's art. And um, they bounce uh, back and forth between each other. And every album to me is like a painting. You know, every time you create an album or you're going to put a set of music together for a performance, it's kind of like making a painting. And I'm so lucky to um, be able to allow that creativity to run through my life. I, I I was raised from a young age. You know, when I was two, my grandmother put a paintbrush in my hand. When I was four, my other grandmother put a guitar in my hand. So I guess I, I, I they didn't told me I was going to be a singer when I was four. So I, I I don't know any other way to be. It was what they raised me to be. I actually wanted to be a doctor when I was in high school, but I didn't have the math scores, so <laughs> I didn't make the pre-med cut. But um, you know, I'm fulfilling whatever it was I was told to be as a child. That's the only way I can put it, I guess. And I'm lucky yeah. that I've been able to do it. 
So I'm curious, you know, being largely away from jazz for the last few years and getting back to it now, what do you hope we all collectively realize about the power of live music as we get back to it? Well, you know, it's um, it's a group effort because, as I was discussing before, you know, when you're on stage, you're listening to and you're performing with other musicians and you're all playing off each other. But on a grander scale, the band is playing off the audience. You know, we're not up there ignoring the people that are sitting in the chairs. We work off of them, too. Now, I did musical theater in high school, and certainly in theater, you work off of the reactions of the audience. But in music, we do that as well. And when we're playing, you know, for a video camera and there's no one watching us, like Stephen Colbert (laughs) talks about how how grateful he is to be back on stage with an audience again, it's true because the audience is a huge part of the performance. And what kind of mood they're in helps us create music. I've always been a Friday night person. I love the Friday night gigs. Not so big into the Saturday. Friday nights, people are like more ebullient and excited because they just finished their work week. By Saturday, they're a little more mellow because they've slept in on Saturday and they've done chores and they're kind of relaxed. So the Saturday night gigs are not as exciting, believe it or not, as the Friday night gigs. And that's just an example of how your audience can influence your performance. So that's really important for us to be, you know, connected to our audience so much. And, you know, I know a lot of musicians are just so glad to be back out on stage. So everyone, actually, I'm going to ask you this question before this. You know, let's say tonight you have a dream. You run into your younger version of yourself around the time that you were becoming a professional. And you could give your younger version one piece of advice based on the wisdom that you've accumulated throughout all these years. What would you tell your younger version? Don't worry about what other people think of what you're doing. Follow your heart and create the music that you hear in your heart. Don't let them tell you that it has to sound a certain way and that it has to follow certain rules. Because jazz is a creative force. It's not stagnant. And if you're getting something from the universe that says move it forward, then by God, move it forward. Don't let somebody else do it. (laughs) Do it. Everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. You have a perception of you. Who do you think you are? What we think we are changes at different points in our lives. And when I was in my 20s um, living in New York City, you know, I was very passionate about being a jazz singer. And back in the 90s, it wasn't as popular as it got to be in the 2000s. Um, You know, it it was just getting there. Um, So I still think of myself as a jazz singer. um, But I... I think of myself as a singer, too, because I enjoy singing blues music, and I enjoy singing roots music. I was very passionate about jazz in the beginning, and now I'm just a singer. (laughs) Does that make any sense? I don't want to betray the jazz. I mean, it's still in there, and it's 20 years I put in on jazz. That's a long time. But now I'm I'm just a singer, and I want to tell my stories um, to people and make them feel things. And if it's jazz, it's great. And if I pull in some roots music into that, then I want to do it. If I have to pull in a blues beat to to tell the story, then I will. So the album Blue Train for me, those songs are 16 stories. And some of it's jazzy, some of it's bluesy, some of it's popish, you know, and some of it's uh, jump swing. But they're all a story, and jazz swirls in and out of all of it. 
does that make sense? I, I, I want yeah. to continue to tell the story with jazz in it, but it's it's um it's a bigger picture now. The world has yeah. changed and people don't yeah. think of jazz the same as they did in nineteen ninety five. I agree. I hope I'm making sense. You do, yeah, absolutely. That that made perfect sense. Solitaire, thank you for taking some time out today to talk about the album and your life and music. This has been great. I appreciate it. Oh, sure. I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York City, Chicago, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Solitaire for time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Joe Domino related go to JoeDomino.com, and if you feel like it, you can donate to the Neon Jazz cause. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.